Welcome to Podcast Recovery. We are your hosts, David O. and Eric V. Uh, and uh, Podcast Recovery is a forerunner in digitally accessible addiction recovery support. We provide ease and convenience to any and all seeking a message of recovery and hope. By broadcasting the stories of recovering addicts, we act as a complement to all other recovery services. We exist to create a global foundation platform so that any addict may hear a message of recovery, strength, and hope. We contribute education and awareness by highlighting the diversity in the lives of recovering addicts to show that one addict helping another truly works. Today, we are joined by our, uh, our special guest, Martin. How are you doing today? Hey, doing all right. Doing well. Good. Uh, where are you from, Martin? I am from the Maryland area. Grew up uh, in Laurel and um, a little bit in Florida and moved around a lot. Where in Florida? I lived down in uh, Deltona, Central Florida. For a Ooh. while, nice. Yeah. Were you an army kid or a gypsy? No, just we moved. Gypsy. Gypsy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when were you first introduced to recovery? So my first introduction to recovery was when I went to uh, the psych ward the first time. Actually, mm-hmm. um, I did not take the recommendations at that time. Yeah. Um, but that was like my first time really hearing about it and hearing, you know personal experiences about it and then um it wasn't until i actually went to rehab that i was actually like read the steps Mm -hmm. and you know other than hearing about you know generalized general yeah but i didn't really know anything about it i probably knew more about fight club than i did about any kind of we don't talk about we don't talk about fight club and what what year was that so that would have been 2000 and 10? Goodness. We're getting 2009? Long. We're getting long in the tooth. Uh, and how long have you been clean? I have been clean for five years now. Nice. Cool. Yeah, just Congratulations. Cool. Yeah. And uh, with all that out of the way, we are going to uh, turn it over to you to share your experience, strength, and hope. So the floor is yours. Okay. Grateful to be here, guys. Grateful to have you. Yeah, my life is uh, is very different today from what it used to be. Um, you know, when I'm asked to, I would hope so. Yeah, five years. Yeah, I'm telling you. I mean, drastically different. When they mm. say it gets greater later, they are they're not joking. Nice. Um, a life beyond my wildest dreams is is definitely where I'm at today. And the other day, actually, it dawned on me that I have actually become the guy that I dreamed about being um, when I would sit in my room in depression mm-hmm. while using, you know, I had this sort of idea of who I would like to be if I didn't hate myself so much. Yeah. And it's a very close picture to who I actually am today. Um, you know, I got there by staying clean, by taking the suggestions that were given. I got here today really just by, you know, easy does it. Mm-hmm. trying not to overcomplicate the process. Um, you know, when I, when I did get into a rehab and I did get introduced into the program, they basically told me to, to try to compare in and not out, to try to see the similarities and not the differences. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I felt very different you know, when you're coming in and you've been using and you've been isolated for mm-hmm. years and years on end and you are filled with nothing but self-loathing 
and regret. And, you know, I, I lost everything at that point in my life, excuse me, and, and was ready to, you know, end my life because I didn't have a way out. So Mm -hmm. when I got into the rehab and they said, you know, here's how it worked for other people. And if you do this, Mm -hmm. you can actually learn to love yourself, lose the desire to use and learn a new way of life. And that to me is, is as overwhelming as it felt at the time I had reached a level of surrender where I was ready for a change. I was ready for Mm -hmm. something different because my way had not worked for so many years. Like I, I desperately wanted to stop using, um, you know, I remember 2008, uh, as a, as a milestone in my using as like a deeper bottom that I'd hit in the past. Mm -hmm. And I started actually telling myself that I had a problem, not that I was, you know, really telling anybody else. Yeah. Um, and then it was almost like, because I had admitted to myself that I had a problem, my using got worse. Oh yeah. And so when I made it into, um, a recovery environment or was honest enough with other people to get help, Mm -hmm. um, they, they, uh, you know, they laid out a plan Yeah, and I had reached a level of desperation and knowing that I couldn't do it on my own, that I was ready to, um, just try. And that for me was the open-mindedness, the willingness mm-hmm. and the honesty oh, yeah. that we talk about. Now, I didn't know that I was working, you know, some steps. I was actually uh, working, you know, really through step one, two and three before I made it into rehab. But in essence, I was. Yeah. Um, and that was like that was the change in my life, that that willingness to surrender and be honest about where I was at, um, you know, showed me that there was a change of heart. And that to me, mm-hmm. like recovery to me is really a lot about change. Oh yeah. Um, all of life is change, right? I mean, the only constant in life is change. And so when I sort of, uh, accepted that I could change or that I was, I was open to it, something happened. And really like when you change, you changed in an instant. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, when, when you really like, uh, make that commitment to recovery, not like to staying clean or, you know, trying to just be dry. Mm -hmm. Uh, when you make a real commitment to recovery, something changes in you in that instant. Yeah. And that was, that was where I was at. And that's really where, you know, I saw the 12 steps on the, um, Mm -hmm. on the wall and I read them and I was like, well, shit, I guess if I'm doing this, I can finish this in less than 28 days and I'll be out of here and I'll be good to go. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, it's, uh, there's a little more to it than that, thankfully. Yeah. Um, but that was, you know, that was where I made the shift. Mm-hmm. And, um, how long had you been using by that point? So probably, well, I didn't, I didn't actually use like a lot of people like before high school and, and, you know, through a lot of high school, I was actually, you know, straight edge. I would call myself straight edge. I was like mm-hmm. a punk rock kid who, you know, I didn't drink. I didn't hang out with, I mean, I would hang out with people that, that smoked and drank, but like, that wasn't me. I didn't, yeah. you know what I mean? I didn't mm-hmm. do that. Um, you know, at 17, I moved out mm-hmm. and shortly thereafter, when I was, when I was, you know, after graduation, I, I started drinking and very quickly, mm-hmm. um, got out of control and, and escalated and, you know, progressed from there. So probably, I guess like 13, 14 years, something like that. Mm-hmm. What was your um, first drink? 
Uh, Mike's Hard Lemonade. Mike's Hard. Oh, that was mine too. Mike's Hard and Mike's Hard Smirnoff Ice. He had really that good advertisements. I think that's probably they what got really me. sold it to kids. Yeah, they really did. Yep. They're like, oh, it tastes like delicious lemonade. Yeah, and from went from there went right to uh, to Jack and Ginger. And um, okay, that's, that's gross. good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I, I approve of that much more <laughs> oh. than Mike's heart. Hey. I was, I was young. Yeah. I was really like, I was never like a one track type of user. Like from every alcohol to, you know, every strain of weed to Mm -hmm. every single opiate I could get my hands on, including ordering, um, poppies on eBay. (laughs) Do I want to go into like detail like that? So I found out at one point that you could get, um, poppies on eBay and, you know, I was fucked up enough at that point that I'm like, I don't really care if they get my address. I don't really, you know what I mean? Like, I Jeez, just, yeah. I was like, what the no, fuck ever, yeah. you know, because oh, I didn't yeah. have a consistent source, you know, at that point in time. And sure shit, ordered it up on eBay and I got this box and they weren't even like wrapped in plastic. Like literally somebody just dumped this shit in a box and mailed it. Oh my God. And like they were like rattling around <laughs> and they were dried. And so I separated the seeds from the plant material. I ground up the plant material, ground up the seeds, and I made um, teas out of them basically. And out of the, the me and like the four people that I got to try them, everybody got horrendously sick, vomited everywhere. And I thought, I mean, I thought they tasted bad, but they, you know, they, I mean, it was a good high. It was, it was strong. Jesus Christ. And, um, anyway, you know, I was, I was that kind of addict where, you know, for me it was, it was. Sure. I'll try use this. It. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I don't even need to know what it is. If, if you want me to try it or if you've got some, you know, I won't even ask. And for a while there, that's really how I got introduced into heroin to begin with was because mm-hmm. I had a girlfriend who, liked that I would use with her and was really, really good at being deceptive and manipulative. And she would, um, she would go and get it. And then, you know, when I, I remember one time and I was ignorant, you know what I mean? Um, I was just like, let's get high and then fuck. Cause that's, you know what we did. Yeah. And, and, uh, I said, you know, this is really Brown. What is this? And I remember she mentioned a couple of things that I, that she knew I was okay with using, you know, like morphine and, um, this and that. And, oh, it's a mix. It's a mix is what she yeah. told oh. me. And, um, it's a Jeffrey. It's a Jeffrey. It's no problem. <laughs> Jeffrey. And, Nobody's um, afraid of Jeffrey. It's just bloke down the street. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, you know, that's, that's kind of how I got eased into it. And that's really how, you know, most of us get into using is, you know, we get shown by other people, you know, they we got shown by Mike and his hard lemonade. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. We get, we get eased into, um, you know, how do you use a bong? Somebody shows you, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. You know, how do I, how do I make a pipe out of tinfoil when I don't have anything else? Somebody shows me, you know, and, and, uh, I treat my recovery the same way where, you know, I don't know how to recover, but I know there's a lot of people out there that do. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just, you know, I have to be humble enough to, to ask. And that was really tough for me in my upbringing. We didn't, we didn't share problems. We didn't share mm-hmm. about how we were feeling. We didn't deal with emotions. We didn't go into any of that kind of stuff. You know, if you had a problem or you were hurting inside, you kept it to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, if it was something that was going on, like, um, 
you know, we went through a divorce in our family when we were young. Mm -hmm. And when we were going through that, we were told that's a family secret. You don't share about that. You don't talk about that with anybody else. How 1950s. Yeah. And if problems got bad enough, you just moved to another state. Hence us being in Florida and moving around. Nice. Um, You know, that was, that was the solution for things. And, um, you know, a lot of that stuff, when I really go back and look at it, you know, and, and having done, I should, I say go back and look at it, but really, you know, working a 12 step program with a sponsor, you are in a safe environment to start to take a deeper look at mm-hmm. why do I do the things that I do, right? You know, the, the drugs, um, being a symptom of a deeper disease. That's really what we're trying to get to in recovery mm-hmm. and in a safe way. We're not just trying to, you know, um, stop Rip. using and think that we're better or and start ripping off band-aids exactly you know cut into a, a, a deep wound and, and a lot of this stuff that you know we discover through the step work um you walk away from a session with a sponsor mm-hmm. with a feeling of euphoria because pain lessened is pain or pain shared is pain lessened mm-hmm. right am i saying that right yes yes so yes. you know for me being able to dig a little bit deeper into some of my, my issues of the past for me, um, a lot of it came from abandonment. It came from mm-hmm. being raised without a father. Yeah. It came from, you know, having feelings that I couldn't deal with, uh, being a herd animal with no herd, you know, or, or a mm-hmm. pack animal with no pack. Yeah. You know, I was, um, very isolated growing up and, and, um, I didn't know how to interact with other children having moved around from, mm-hmm. Um, from Maryland to Florida and Florida. Were you an only child? No, I had, okay. I had a sister. Okay. Um, and, and you know, what's crazy, uh, you know, speaking of her, um, we still have not mended our relationship. We actually haven't spoken in, in years and years and years, even mm. before my using got really bad. She kind of, you know, yeah. cut me off. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of deeper family drama that I can't even begin to get into that also led into, um, my using near the end, mm-hmm. um, as well. But, you know, I, I discovered for me, the reason why a lot of people say I'm grateful to be an addict. Cause I used to think that was crazy. Like yeah. when I got into the room, like, why the fuck would you be grateful? This is like a yes. curse. I have to live yeah. with this forever now. You know, you're crazy. Why are you grateful for this? And for me, it came to, I came to an understanding with that because of my sister, because, you know, she deals with the same kind of, uh, inner demons that I did having been, you know, raised yeah. in a similar environment. Yeah. But she didn't act out as deeply or, or in the same way that I did. Mm-hmm. So for me, it became glaringly obvious because of the using. And I was lucky enough to get into the rooms and get help. And, you know, I was desperate enough. I was beaten down enough to admit that there was a problem because of the using. Mm-hmm. If I hadn't have been an addict, then I might just still be, you know, just kind of bad enough. And, and, Ooh. you know, that, that is such a curse to, um, that I never want to wish on anybody. You know, I'm so, I'm so grateful to the fact that, it got bad enough for me to want to change and to become this, this person that I, I feel like I was, you know, really meant to be, or, or even not that even that I'm really who I'm meant to be as much as like, I get the, the opportunity to try to figure that out. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like a lot of work that we do in recovery is like just trying to get to the core of, of who we really are meant to be or who we can, who we can be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not, not now that I haven't used for five years, mm-hmm. like, I don't care if other people do. Um, I don't look down on other people no. that use. Mm-hmm. Um, because for me, um, 
you know, good on you. You know, if, if you can use successfully, I couldn't. Um, but I don't look down on people that, that use. No. Um, I totally lost my train of thought where I was going with that. Yeah. Now that you've been clean for five years. I, I don't mind being around it. I, around I totally you. lost where I was going with that. I don't know. There you go. I digressed too far. Digressed too far. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, like, tell us more about like your, tell us more about like how, how the using progressed, like through the, through the years. Like, um, I mean, uh, you know, how do you get from Mike's hard to heroin? Yeah. <laughs> um, slowly. I mean, I felt like yes. I had really good control over it. Um, and for me, I was, because I was using so many different substances, I never felt like I wasn't in control mm-hmm. until it was too late, I guess. Um, like if I smoked crack, I wasn't a crackhead cause I didn't only smoke crack, <laughs> you know, okay. if, if I was snorting heroin for, you know, months yeah. on end, uh, I wasn't a heroin addict because I could stop and start, mm-hmm. you know, taking Lyrica, uh, or Suboxone and then just move back to alcohol alone. And it didn't, it never felt like, you know, the pinwheel of drugs that I was trapped in using was, was really, um, addiction, you know? Oh, yeah. And, and, um, I guess it, it just happened little by little because for me, like being able to cope with social anxiety and cope mm-hmm. with, um, the feelings of depression, you know, self-medicating to try to, get out of bed every day, mm-hmm. um, worked for a long time with self-medicating. It worked a long time by using. And at a certain point after it had gone too far, it's almost like, you know, if you lie about something and then you got to lie to cover up that lie and then you got to lie to cover up that lie or you forget yeah. who you're lying to. So you stop talking to that person and then that oh, builds yeah. on something else. And then, you know, you get caught by in your two face and then fuck that guy. He's lying about me lying. Yeah. And th- <laughs> those things really happen in a natural progression where they just build on each other. Yeah. Um, if you're not doing the next right thing, then you don't know where you're going to end up. You mm-hmm. know, if you're, if you're not, you know what I mean? Like the progression is so natural in its build. And I went from drinking too much to drinking and using anything and everything I could find Mm -hmm. to, you know, basically once I, once I got pills and opiates, it was, it was kind of like, it was all over. Yeah. It's a wrap at that point. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was probably where around 2008 I was. And I had, um, I had shortly thereafter lost, uh, the girlfriend of my dreams. Um, I was, it was just me and my dog. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I was getting behind on bills. I couldn't really consistently work mm-hmm. and I, I just didn't know, you know what I mean? I didn't know if I was going to show up the next day or not anytime. Yeah. Uh, I mean that, and, and I hate to say it, but like, these are kind of like vague memories now, you know, five yeah. years is a long time. Yeah. I don't talk a lot about the, you know, the using stories other than when I'm trying to share. Um, I don't really like, I mean, I, I guarantee you the people that all disown me that I used to hang out with while I'm using, I'm oh, sure they, they can tell you remember. crazy, oh, yeah. crazy fucking stories. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Like they told me one time after two years, they let me know about the alter ego that came out when I was blacked out. <laughs> 
Donnie, Donnie Pilferson. He named himself. Donnie now, Pilferson. I was not aware of Donnie Pilferson, but they were saying, like, oh, Donnie came out again last night. I'm like, who the fuck cares? Who's this Donnie guy? Yeah. You know? And uh, come to find out, once I would black out, I would call myself, I would speak with this sort of uh, like, a, hey there, Kappa, who's coming for you now? You know? And he had like this whole bit that he did um, in wow. my blacked out body. You sound body. like an amazing person to hang out with when you're fucked up. Yeah, I was, I was way out there. Way Donnie out there. Pilferson. Donnie Pilferson. Donnie Pilferson. And, um, you know, they told me about it. And, uh, you know, I was always feeling like somebody was trying to sabotage me when I was using like, my stuff that was really important would get thrown away mm-hmm. or, you know, I would actually end up with more stuff in my pockets the next morning or, you know what I mean? I felt like I was being sabotaged and really, you know, it was Donnie. It was Donnie all along. It was Donnie all along. Um, to give you some more perspective on, on how out there I was, um, when I was living, um, I had this little house next to a power plant um, next to McDaniel College up in Westminster. Mm-hmm. And, um, the whole house would shake. <clears throat> and, um, I lived there, uh, for a long time by myself with my dog Mohawk, who I give full credit for keeping me alive during this period. And, uh, and my mannequin, Manny. Manny. And Manny, um, was a, uh, mannequin who had no legs, or has no legs. I shouldn't say it like he's not around anymore. Manny's still alive and well. He doesn't talk to me like he used to, but he still lives at my house. But he used to live at a, a tattoo shop and he was covered, is covered in tattoos. And uh, it's funny how like in my brain, Manny is not the same as he used to be. Oh, me, yeah. So when I lived alone with Mohawk and Manny, those were the two people that I would talk to. Yeah. And that's who would talk to me, my he, dog and my mannequin. He was your Wilson. Yeah. He, he was my Wilson. <laughs> Yeah, for real. For for the record, I have met Manny. Yeah, man. I have met Manny. He does exist. This is not. This is not a bit. This is one hundred percent. No, yeah, Manny saw. Manny was my support team. You know, when I was uh, crying and uh, you know staying up for days on end. You know, that was who was there for me. And um, you know, when I say that Mohawk is the reason that I'm alive today, you know, when I was at that point in my life, um, I didn't have any. Uh, connected relationships, right? Like mm-hmm. I had my drug dealer and I had a couple of people that were like sort of in my life, but they didn't know who I was. Like they didn't yeah. know where I was at. If I would put on a happy face and go and see somebody, mm-hmm. then, you know, they would see what I wanted to project in them. They would see the ego that mm-hmm. kind of, I could stand upright to, to push out the door for long yeah. enough before I had to, you know, use again or whatever. And, you know, Mohawk though, he was, he needed to eat. You know, I didn't really care if I ate, you know what I mean? But he needed to eat and Mm -hmm. I didn't want to go outside, but he needed to go outside. Mm -hmm. And, um, that was sort of like my connection to, um, to life. That's, I mean, really that's what sustained my, my love for him is really what sustained me for a lot of years and Mm -hmm. kept me going. And, um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess there's, you know, there's crazy stories like waking up at a crack house that I don't remember going to and having my car been gone. And I gave the keys to the guy Um, and it coming back eventually after the cops have been there and back and, um, you know, the the mirror being ripped off and, and the tire blown out. And, you know, there's there's a lot of crazy stuff that happens when you're in an active addiction. and, And for the most part. So much of it just blends together because yeah. it was just like a day yeah. in and day out. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, you know, I was in 
these modes where I would be like, I can't live like this anymore. Right. That's yeah. what, that's what I used to tell myself. I can't live like this anymore. Mm-hmm. I didn't know there was a way out. I didn't know there was an answer. I didn't know how to ask for help. Absolutely. But I would say, I can't live like this yeah. anymore. And in those times, like sometimes I would, I would abstain from using for a couple days mm-hmm. and really within even just a couple days, like I would start to feel better. Mm-hmm. Like I could do this. And then it'd be like in the back of my head, be like, cool. Well, let's just get the bag of that. And then, It'll be even better. Yeah. And for whatever reason, it was like that cycle that I could never, ever get out of. Yeah. And I think for me, rehab did a lot to just break that cycle. You know, when you're in these patterns of behavior, whether it's using or anger or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever way it's it's acting out to break a pattern of behavior that's so deep inside you, mm-hmm. you know, the years of not being able to ask for help or be honest about what's going on with me. That's still a pattern of behavior that I had to consciously break because that was my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, you know, a lot of the challenge with sticking and staying like getting into recovery and adopting all 12 all the time into your life. Mm-hmm. And there is like this deeper level to the steps where, oh, yeah. You know, there's like the surface level of working the step work. And then there's almost like this attitude that, you know, when you really like find the people who are living the program in their life, mm-hmm. that there's like this attitude of recovery, of uh, attitude of gratitude, um, a humbleness, a forgiveness, a level of like love that comes out of these people. Mm-hmm. That's what I latched on into recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, trying to trying to find that. I t- see. I lost my train of thought again, too. the attitude the attitude of recovery the attitude of gratitude yeah and and the change of of behaviors is is really difficult early on in recovery and being able to um accept change break those patterns of behavior um that's really the challenge in early recovery is is being willing to sit still for long enough to stay clean long enough to find a new way of life to being to being willing Mm -hmm. um and for me, a lot of that. So, so I like to give, like, I don't know, some practical application. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and it's it's different for everybody. So, yeah. you know, my experience is all that I can share. Like for me, um, if I come across a problem, uh, I don't want to live in the problem. I want to live in the solution. So for yeah. me, I will actively pursue like trying to do something about mm-hmm. um, my life. It, now, the story I was just telling you about myself which was, I can't live like this anymore. My solution was to kill myself because mm-hmm. I didn't ask for help. I didn't know a better way. So that was my solution yeah. at that point. And today I'm able to ask for help. I'm able to um, be fearless in a way about going about things. Mm-hmm. Um, so today being able to walk through life with my heart open, mm-hmm. um, being able to share with people, being able to be willing to, uh, adapt and change. Um, it's hard to be able to, to explain that to a newcomer except for, you know, that easy does it. Oh yeah. You know, when you're just getting into recovery, um, especially when you, and if you're living on drugs day in and day out, your mind is so far gone and you got to sit still long enough you got to be able to time, put that time in between and not pick up to be around people in recovery, to go to meeting after meeting, mm-hmm. um, whatever it is. Um, but to go further than that, you know, with the behavior pattern, especially like anger, anger was um, something that repeatedly came up in, in my last round with my four step. 
And that anger uh, is a behavior pattern that was part of a reaction. Um, Mm -hmm. So for me, being able to be willing to sit still long enough to react differently, Mm -hmm. which really, I mean, if you think about that uh, with, you, you know, comparing that to using, when I get the urge or a thought of using, I have to sit still long enough to put some time in between not reacting to it. Mm-hmm. Um, anger is the same way for me. Um, some people get into spending habits where spending becomes that instant gratification, that feeling of, of oh, yes. you know, let me out of the way that I'm feeling right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a big part of what dealing with feelings and, and living life in recovery is about, you know, to keep from using once you get clean, you know, which really, I mean, after like, I mean, I had a, I had a heavy detox after like sweating every night for two weeks, mm-hmm. I was pretty much off the drugs after mm-hmm. 60 days, you know, my mind started to come back a little mm-hmm. more. I mean, it really took like six months, nine months before yeah. I was really thinking more clearly, Yeah, but I felt more like a human being after like 60 days. Mm-hmm. However, I was still me. Oh yeah. I still had mm-hmm. all of those same behavior patterns. I still had all of the you know, desires to use my old tools, which for me is like isolation and depression and anxiety and let me lay in bed rather than deal with real life. Um, so being willing to deal with those feelings and find a new way and ask for help. And, you know, um, what I mainly did in, in my recovery early on was, um, there's like, I didn't want to meet anybody because I have social anxiety. Right. But I don't want to die an addict, so I got to go to these meetings. Yeah. So I just went to every meeting everywhere. I just went to all different meetings, and I I, I did felt, not see you going that direction. Yeah. I, okay. So you again? I want the solution. Yeah. I had yeah. to deal with what I got. You know what I mean? I got this fucked up being. Yeah. But I want better for myself. Yeah. So um, I found like the compromise, and I would just went to every meeting everywhere. I went down to Montgomery County. Mm-hmm. I went to Laurel. Mm-hmm. I went to PG County. I went all the way up to Towson meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, I just chased recovery all over the place, but in my own quiet way. Mm-hmm. And what I found is that eventually. I found people that I related with. I kind of found people that I felt comfortable with Brad being one of them. Oh yeah. He was just somebody who was relaxed and open. And, you know, I felt, uh, I mean, I felt accepted when I got hugged, Yeah. you know, I felt, um, I felt different, but somehow the niche that I felt in fell into, uh, in the Catonsville area was just different and it was special And I wish that for everybody, you know what I mean? I wish that, Mm -hmm. that willingness to go and chase recovery for everybody and, and your family in recovery is there Mm -hmm. and they're waiting for you. Mm. And, you know, some people can just put their, their hand up at the first meeting, say, I'm, I'm, I'm new, help me. And people will. Oh yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that at that time. Um, but I'm really grateful that I, I didn't give up on myself. You know, uh, I took the suggestions that were given to pray for strength. Mm-hmm. Um, I took the suggestions that were giving to, um, to never give up, you know, to, to stick and stay. Um, the, it, there's been a number of meetings where lately I've talked about this, um, this idea that I, I don't know if I should even bring this up or not, but for me, um, relapse is not an acceptable part of my recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I want to clarify that because I don't want to step on anybody's toes or give a mixed message. Yeah. So for me, if I felt like I had a reservation that was acceptable, like a big fear of mine is my mom dying. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are certain reservations that I sort of hold in the back of my mind, mm-hmm. but I don't have anything that I feel like is a reason to use. Yeah. And I want to live a life where there is no reason to use. Mm-hmm. And we want to welcome everybody back. That is the message of recovery. Keep coming Absolutely. back without a doubt. And everybody is welcome back. The message that I tell myself is not keep coming back. The, the message that I tell myself, the mission is that there's never a reason to use. Mm-hmm. There is no reason good enough to pick up ever again. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I, I learned and, and started, started to understand the just for day, just for today principle. Mm-hmm. So this idea of just for today, it, it almost feels like too overwhelming, especially if, if I say, you know, like I hear myself saying like, I'm, I'm never going to use again. Well, that's, that's like, it's like an unrealistic goal in a way, right? To be able to know that you're never going to use again. But what I know is I'm not going to use today. Yeah. I'm going to wake Absolutely. up this morning. I'm going to be grateful that I'm clean. I'm going to do whatever I have to do not to pick up, mm-hmm. not to put it in me. And if I can get through to tonight, I'm going to be grateful that I didn't use. I'm going to go to sleep. I'm going to do the same thing tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And that's all there is to it. Yeah. And on days when it's my anger and not the drug use, right? It's my oh, yeah. it's my acting out or um, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It's the same principle. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that I'm not going to punch this guy today. I'm not going to punch this guy today. I'm going to talk about him and put some space in between it. I might yeah. punch him tomorrow. And oh, I know we're not going to no, we're not going to. No, that's exactly. No, that's exactly what I do, though. Inside my head, I go, no, you're you're absolutely right. inside the talking to myself. In of my course, head, you're absolutely right. We're going to fucking kill this guy. <laughs> we're just not going to do it right now. We're going to plan it out. We're going to get him later. And you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's 100 <laughs> percent. Speaking of that random tangent, you ever yeah. I like I, you're definitely seem like the type of guy who has fights with people in your mind. Like this person's going to say this and then I'm going to say that and then fuck this guy. And then as soon as he says this, that's when I pop him. And after that, I'm going to fucking da 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 da. And it's like that just absolute insanity that can just, just snowball so quickly. Without and doubt. like that's so much like the addict behavior and addict thinking is just how fast we can just run with our own diatribe of just shit Without in doubt. our head. Yeah. If I, and, and practical application, the way that I've, learn to stop most of that Mm -hmm. is, uh, meditation, Mm -hmm. 100% meditation. Um, for me, uh, meditation has been the reason why I don't get panic attacks checking Mm -hmm. out in line at the grocery store where I used to get face blindness. Mm -hmm. Um, I went and spoke at a maximum, um, uh, uh, lockdown prison, um, in Jessup Mm -hmm. and, you know, walking in there to, you know, that kind of environment, uh, in the past, you know, having to speak in front of people, I wouldn't be able to do it. I mean, even, even being on this right here mm-hmm. would be too overwhelming for me. And, um, you know, through meditation, I go and I practice, uh, a place in my mind where I feel peace and freedom. I go and practice, mm-hmm. um, at deep breathing, um, where I can focus on, you know, the awareness of the awareness, the, the place that I can mm-hmm. go where there's the, the river of silence. And because I practice that in a safe place, in meditation, mm-hmm. when I need to go there, 
in normal life when a situation comes up like that, yeah. I know where that calm place is in my mind because I've, mm. I've practiced it. Mm. And you know, that's been a huge tool of recovery for me. Huge. Yeah. So you get introduced in 2010, you get clean 2013 ish. Yeah. 2012, 2013 ish. Yeah. So what happened? Yeah. Things got, things got really bad. So, um, after I got out of the psych ward that time, they gave me lots of suggestions. They, they gave in? me lithium. Hmm? How long were you in? Uh, seven days. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and they, you know, tried to connect me with an aftercare. Mm-hmm. Um, but that to me was like, I just need to go back to work. That was my mentality. Mm-hmm. I just need to go back to work. I'm going to feel better. Um, I'll take this lithium for a little while. Um, and you know, as soon as that, uh, stuff that they sent me home with ran out, um, I was, I was running what we call self will again yeah. because I didn't connect with any further help. Um, I went and saw the counselor with the IOP once. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, I got a lot out of it, but there was like, there was something I just needed to schedule. It was something really simple. I just needed to schedule like one more thing. Yeah. And that felt too overwhelming. Yeah. And it was anything that's easy to do is even easier not to do. Yeah. So I never <laughs> wow. did it. And I was okay for a little while. You know I what I mean? I went on the marijuana maintenance plan shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that uh, that kind of lasted for, I want to say, almost a year. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, it was about a year. And so I had a, a birthday around the same time as my sister, as well as one of our other friends. And so we went out to Volt in Frederick. Great restaurant. Great restaurant. And everybody knew that I wasn't drinking at that time. Mm-hmm. Right. They didn't know I was on the marijuana maintenance plan, but yeah, they knew I wasn't drinking. And so to celebrate how well I was doing, I decided to buy everybody drinks and then they wouldn't mind if I had one. Ah, yeah, here's my manipulation. Mm-hmm. So I have my celebratory birthday drink mm-hmm. and that was it. It was off to the races again. Mm. And I ended up, uh, if you've ever been to vault in Frederick, um, there's sort of like yeah. a, um, there's sort of like a grassy knoll area with trees and mm-hmm. it's like this little peaceful patio area they have. Oh, yeah. I was pissing in the, um, the backyard area, like right out in front of the other people, like just pissing on a tree. I threw a couple chairs over the side. So like I went back to drinking that fairly quickly. That escalated classy. quickly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I never really got out of hand quick. Yeah. I missed it. It felt good. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and I didn't know <laughs> that kind of. Uh, hold that it had because I was just having a responsible drink with my friends, but <laughs> I stayed. Years. Yeah, twenty years on that one. Responsible and, and drink. I, I stayed at the bar, and uh, you know it, it didn't end well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that then you know kind of just you know wound back into the same you know pinwheel of drug use that mm-hmm. I've been using, and two years after that, it led me back to the same road that I had been in, that mm-hmm. I didn't want to live like that. Um, I didn't have a way out. I was ready to kill myself. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, luckily at that point, because I had been to the psych ward before, I knew that there was a connection to help. Mm-hmm. And, and what I did differently this time was that I actually told people where I was at and what was going on. I actually, 
Um, it was one of the harder phone calls I've ever made, but I called my mother and I told my mother, um, that I was, I was going to kill myself and that I was literally in this, you know, I told her, you know, as much as I could tell her and she didn't really, she didn't know what to say. She didn't know what to do, but it wasn't really about that. It was more just about me, you know, being honest about it. Yeah. (laughs) And I got into the psych ward again. And after the seven days, I started, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they put me on some medication. I think they put me on Prozac. I started to feel a little bit better. Um, you know, the, the withdrawal, um, was going through and, um, that same voice in my head was saying, just need to go and work harder, you know? Yeah. Same way as it used to be. You know what I mean? Like if you just drank on the weekends or, you know, if you only used <laughs> at big parties or if you, if you went to the gym, And you use, then you would be a successful, you know, all those voices were coming up again. And, um, and there was actually, there was this girl who was in the psych ward at the same time as me. And there was this guy who he kind of looked like me had tattoos. He's kind of like a punk rock guy. And, uh, obviously they were in the same place that I was in, but they had a little more experience with the rooms. Okay. And so they gave some insight that I'd never had before on what, recovery could be or what it was and that it worked mm-hmm. for other people. It didn't work for them, mm-hmm. but it was like, wait, there's, there is something out there, Yeah, you know? And because they were there, I just, I actually shared at the, the little groups that we had, uh, in the, the psych ward, they do like, you know, they do little, whatever it is, just little yeah, activities, yeah, groups, group therapy, very, very light group therapy. But I would talk like I existed yeah. And that was new for me, you know, um, in high school, I used to be able to skip high school and be marked present because I literally didn't exist. You know, I was so quiet wow. in the back of the room. My teachers didn't know I existed. They would mark me present. And I would skip school altogether. Um, so for me, like that's talented. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. I mean, like, you know, sharing about I have adopted that. Practice. Like I always felt less than so. Mm-hmm. To share in the psych ward where, you know, my brain's telling me, well, these people are, are in more need of help than you are. Mm-hmm. You don't matter. Um, whatever it's telling me. Yeah. Um, to actually say, here's who I am. This is what I'm doing. You know, this is what's been going on with me and be honest about it was like a whole new experience for mm-hmm. me. And it felt uncomfortable. Yeah. But, um, it, again, it was like being honest. It was like, it was like something changed and that was, that was enough. Mm-hmm. And because I admitted where I actually was, I got appropriate help aftercare and aftercare. I got a, an appropriate suggestions mm-hmm. like, Oh, maybe this isn't just a mental thing. Maybe you have a drug problem. Yeah. Oh, well, maybe you should do something about your drug problem. Oh yeah. And, uh, so from Go there, figure, right? yeah. From there, um, I got into a 28 day, um, rehab, um, the Massey unit out in Cumberland. Mm-hmm. Um, I met, uh, I met a guy who was sitting in the front and he was projecting that attitude that I kind of alluded to where there's like somebody who's, you know, kind of really trying to live the program. He's trying to work it. Yeah. And, um, can I say his name? Yeah. First name. Yeah. Petros. Oh, okay. um, yeah. You know, he was there and he was there only a couple days before me. And I kind of like the idea of that because it's sort of like how the programs got started in the first place, like one act helping another, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Bill W and, and Dr. Bob, yeah. you know, they were only 
a few days clean, but they made a change in their lives. And that, that for me was Petros. He was, he was sitting in the front and he was talking openly about yeah. where he was at. He was sharing. He was Petros being vulnerable. Guy. Yeah. But it was like, okay, that's the posture to take. I'll do that. Mm-hmm. You know? And, uh, and that's really what I kind of echoed through the rest, the rest of my recovery was like, okay, here's somebody who's doing, it. I'm just going to do that. I don't know where the outcome is going to be. I don't know where I'm going to end up, but I'm just going to do what they say they're going to do. And that to me is like the beauty of the, the, the 12 steps, the outline of this program, the pain that all of our predecessors went through to put in writing and give us this, this, if you do it, it will work. Yeah. Period. You can be happy. You mm-hmm. can not hate yourself enough to kill yourself. You can, um, stop using. Yeah. It's amazing. And, and that was, that was all I needed was, was that posture being humble enough to ask for help, being willing enough to, um, to do something about, you know, these suggestions that are giving. And I think, um, you know, I hear about like the Trinity where you have God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit. Mm -hmm. And to me, what that's really alluding to is the actions that we take the consciousness that we have yeah. and the feelings that go with that. Hmm. And so like, I have to be aware of the actions that I take. I have to be personally responsible for the mm-hmm. actions that I take in my life. I have to acknowledge that I'm a sensitive human being. I have feelings yeah. and I have to address them in a, in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I have to realize that I'm a spiritual being that I'm, you know, uh, just another you know life force on this planet that creator has put here for whatever reason. And that's part of, you know, the consciousness and, and making this journey. Uh, I can get really fucking spiritual, you know, and that's where I'm at in my life right now. Yeah. I'm somebody who was completely agnostic and didn't mm-hmm. care for if there was a God, that's the God that I hate. You know what I mean? That's, that's who I was before. And now, you know, I've reached this, um, completely different level of, of spirituality that I put in my life where, like, for example, um, creator God, I don't have to know what or what it is. And I don't have to define it. Yeah. You know, so there's this very beautiful relationship between me and the creator where, um, I don't have to define mm-hmm. what exactly it is, but I do have to have a relationship with it. I have to connect to it. I have to make a conscious effort to be in line with, uh, the laws of nature. Mm-hmm. And that to me is something that like has really changed my life and changed who I am. Um, like I said, I mean, you know, meditation for me is that key. Um, and, and, you know, they tell us that we should pray. So I pray. Yeah. Um, and it's funny cause my sponsor, um, which we share a sponsor. Okay. Our sponsor, yeah, our sponsor, our sponsor, uh, has a great way of, of saying <laughs> our sponsor, Lord in heaven. Yes. No, uh, he has a great way of saying, um, if nobody else is hearing those prayers, you are. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of my relationship with this God figure, mm-hmm. um, that, uh, I don't have to know if God exists or what God is, because yeah. when I carry out the actions that people do talk about, I feel the results. I have the results oh, yeah. in my life. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of like, you know, where I'm at right now and, you know, spirituality changes and will grow over time. So I don't, I don't put any restrictions or any resistance on those feelings. And that was, that was something that was really hard for me to begin with. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of us, um, have trouble feeling that 
uh, creator energy, that universe energy, mm-hmm. um, that's out there, right? That, that unlimited happiness, um, that, that true connection to, you know, what, if you split an atom causes that huge explosion, right? The power that's in every atom of life. Um, it was my resistance to that all along. That mm-hmm. connection was there. It was my resistance to it mm. that kept me from feeling that, um, that strength, that, that power, that peace, that love that is in my heart was always there. I had cut off from it. Yeah. Oh, that's powerful. Yeah. And, uh, our, our sponsor as well has always said, um, through the, through the step work, like how do we align ourselves, like our actions with what quote unquote, hypothetically, uh, our loving and caring higher power would be. And, uh, just implementing that into your life is automatically going to make changes. Cause I mean, well, I'll get, uh, so for me, very simply, um, the way that I know if I'm aligning myself with what everybody says, God's will, right. If I, <laughs> if I'm aligning myself with, um, uh, with that, the way I know that in the practical application sense is very simply, am I doing the next right thing? Yeah. And I break it all the way down to that because, in reality, um, there is only now, right? Mm-hmm. There's only the now. Mm-hmm. And when I'm living in the now, I'm faced with choices mm-hmm. and I can worry about, and I can project into the future oh, yeah. really well. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> Put that in writing. Uh, yeah. you know what I mean, uh, let's get that. Trust me. That's, that's uh, recorded, I, can, buddy. Yeah, I can definitely worry about these things and mm-hmm. I can project, uh, and create these scenarios and have his, like you were saying, have his side of the conversation for oh, him yeah. and be right. You know, it's, but all those things are their fears. Mm-hmm. They are their projections, projections mm-hmm. and, and their what ifs. And if I put all those down and I live in the now, um, I'm only really given so many choices, so many options yeah. in the moment. And what I found is that and I almost did it as like an experiment to begin with. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe let me just try this on for a little while and see what happens. Like try yeah. to just live in the now. And, you know, it sounded terrifying at the time. Yeah. Um, but it was that simple to just start being in the now. Yeah. Um, realizing I'm whole in this moment. Yeah. I am healthy. I am human. I'm okay. Nothing is wrong right here and right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I started practicing that. And what I found is that, you know, everything else starts to work out better and better. Mm-hmm. If I don't go into a situation, especially one that really can be scary, like this one, for example, like, you know, coming yeah. up here to, to do the, to do the podcast, I'm feared up, but I don't let my actions be controlled by that fear. I didn't cancel on you guys. Yeah. Right. I didn't yeah. stay in bed with the covers pulled over my head. Mm-hmm. Like my brain still tells me to do. Right. I just move through that fear and we'll see what happens. You know, I'll lose my train of thought and I'll screw some shit up. And, you know, yeah. it really is okay. Like everything's okay. Um, even when I'm not doing things right. And, and what I find is that I'm taking the next right action. I'm doing the next right thing mm-hmm. and things work out and things actually multiply in this amazing way when you continue to, to do the next right thing. Mm-hmm. So like I could steal from this guy, but I'm not going to, 
you know, or I could screw these people over and they probably wouldn't notice right now, but I'm not (laughs) going to because it really is just down to me and my higher power. I'm just going to do the next right thing. And, you know, there's, there's a a practicality to that. And then there's also like this multiplication effect where, um, you just become something more than by, by carrying out that action, by doing the next right thing. Now, again, practical application. Sometimes there are situations where the next right thing is not clear. Yeah. So what do you do? Right. I'm going to take this road or I'm going to take that road. One of them is actually going to fuck somebody over. It's going to be uncomfortable for this person or that person. Right. These two people are arguing and I I need to go with them, one of them somewhere. And this is going to be bad. What do I do? What's the right answer? Mm. Well, what do you do? You pray. You talk to your sponsor and your friends. Mm. You weigh out your options and you follow your heart. And if you do that, that's it. You know, you take the action that that's best and you carry on with life. That's, that's never served me wrong. And I actually, I don't think that's ever served anybody wrong because Mm -hmm. if you're telling the truth, whether somebody wants to hear it or not, whether somebody else reacts negatively to the truth or not, Mm -hmm. you have nothing to regret. Mm. Does that make sense? Perfect. Absolutely. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. It's great. Mm -hmm. Great. Any any final last words? Give me your last words, sir. Well, he doesn't have his last words yet. <laughs> no, no. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's You're going to be talking a little bit longer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, let's let's hit it. Whatever. So we're going to go kind of through our normal, some of our normal questions. We're going to go Q and A for five hundred. Uh, yeah. Then we'll we'll get into some, you know, some things I'm a little curious about from what you, you know, talked about. Um, one thing I heard you say, and like you don't usually hear people talk about this a lot, and I kind of remember when I was in high school, remembering that moment where I'm just like, I remember it, you know, very clearly. I just drank way too much whiskey, um, and I was in my parents' basement. I was like, I had a pool stick in my hand. And I was just so fucking angry, and I was wasted. And I was like, fuck, I'm like, I have a problem. And, like, you were talking about that moment where you understand that, like, I'm an addict. Mm. And just like you hear how it's like, oh, well, you have to surrender to, you know, to recover. You have to surrender mm. to the disease. But, like, there's, like, you know, in turn, before that, you surrender to addiction mm. being like, well, I'm okay with this. Mm. Yeah. So what's that feeling like for you when you, like, realize, oh. like, I'm an addict and I'm, I'm okay with it. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to keep going. Oh, wow. I, th- I think there's, um, there was definitely, um, uh, a feeling of fuck it in there. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, um, you know, it, it, there was guilt and shame, but at the same time, you know, so sort of like, you know, a child doesn't really know that they're in a bad situation, mm-hmm. right? They just adapt. Mm-hmm. They just, you know, become, whatever the situation is that they're in. Um, you know, in a way I was living like a child, you know, and Mm. the way that it brought me almost like a peace to just be like, this is who I am now. This is, you know what I mean? This is what I'm doing. Um, but more overwhelming than anything else was just fuck it. You know, I didn't care. Um, I didn't care about myself mostly. You know, I had, I had zero love and care for myself. I didn't care if I died. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't have any answers. I didn't have a way out. Um, 
and, and even still today, that's really the most dangerous feeling is fuck oh, yeah. it. Yeah. Mm. Because for as great as I've made my life and for, for all the people that I have that are counting on me to show up every day, if I get deep enough into a, a place of fuck it, all bets are off, you know, oh, fuck yeah. everything, fuck oh, yeah. this. Um, you know, if, if I can go deep enough into that feeling, then, you know, all bets are off. Yeah. And, um, that is, that's a great point to, to make is, um, ex- that's really acceptance though, isn't it? I mean, you know, mm-hmm. just accepting it's just um, on the other side of the coin, just on the other side. And, and I feel like it really did make me go off the ledge even more because, oh, yeah. you know, I, I felt like I can, I could vaguely remember being at, I was like, you know, I used to just like take everything on the road with me. I just would leave yeah. and drive mm-hmm. and, you know, be fucked up the whole time I was driving. I would have, you know, pills and a, a bag of weed and copious amounts of alcohol. And I would spend my days a whole wherever. suitcase full of uppers, downers, laughers, screamers. <laughs> Pretty That's much. immediately what came to my head. Sorry. And I vaguely remember waking up one day and I had these weird pictures on my phone. Uh, one of them said childcare 666. Like I, like I was in the middle of the night That's weird. somewhere and I, it was on my phone. I had no idea where, where it came from, but I thought Fantastic. it was funny or, or should I say Donnie Pilferson thought it was funny Donnie Pilferson to take this picture funny. and continue, you know, driving around completely inebriated. And I woke up and I was, um, I was next to this park, um, Cadoris park up in Pennsylvania. And I can remember like walking through this park and being completely alone and realizing that that hopelessness uh, of full that that full weight of just crushing addiction, oh, yeah. you know what I mean, where you don't have it's like anything in the middle of an ocean, right? But the 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 ways and means to get more, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. the the desire to use, and that was it. Like that was my whole life. I didn't define it that way at the time, though. I just I felt like you know, fuck, I hate being alive. I hate all this bullshit. Everything's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it was like trying to get as high as I could and pass out again. Like that was pretty much yeah. it, yeah. you know, just to be, to, to, to try to reach that plateau of being like just fucked up enough to, to feel nothing, to, to reach mm-hmm. that complete level of numb and then to end the day as quickly as possible by, you know, whatever means necessary. Yeah. Um, that was a horrible place to live. I mean, actually, maybe I'm, maybe I'm grateful that I can't remember it any more clearly than that. But, it, it, you know, yeah. I remember it feeling at the time unending. It was like, this will never end. Oh, God, yeah. It was just so many days and so many months and so many years where it was just like, Ooh, it just felt that like. That just gave me goosebumps. It, there was no way out, you know. Yeah. Okay, so. Well, we're going to go a little lighter now. Okay. Yeah, let's um, do that. <laughs> and then we'll get heavy, then we'll get light, and okay. then we'll end on something a little heavy. Uh, so, nice. I remember straight edge. I, I do remember kids who are straight edge. Oh, yeah. They How would you define right. straight edge? Because I, I was not straight edge. I hung out no. with straight edge people. Yeah. Um, and I was like, why don't you get fucked up? I don't, I don't understand. Okay. Um. So what is straight edge from the perspective of someone who's straight edge? Because I am only like, you're straight edge because you have X's on your hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, you're wearing this Hot Topic shirt and like, 
I don't know. You have, yeah. you're like punk, I guess. So I never wore a Hot Topic shirt okay. and I definitely was punk. Um, you know, eating out of garbage cans and going to shows. Uh, yeah. you know, I was, I was, why you would know, you eat out of garbage cans? Cause it was free. Because we were poor, you know, and it was free. Yeah. And it was free. Yeah. And it was industrious and yep. I was, you know, frugal. So, uh, no, I, I think there was definitely a level of desperation to mm-hmm. define who I was. And I, you know, all of us go through that, especially through, you know, our teenage years. Mm-hmm. Um, some all the way until we die, you know, uh, there's this, there's this desperate need to define the ego. Um, and that's kind of where, you know, for me, I don't know, it's almost, it was almost like, it was almost like I knew I was supposed, I should stay away from that. Not because people told me that I should stay away from drugs and drinking, but it was almost like this inherent knowing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, you know, I, I didn't use and and I guess I was never really good at being, um, just a character or whatever, you know, you have like the skaters and mm-hmm. the punks and the jocks and, and all that stuff. I was yeah. never really good at just being my role. Um, I did like having a Mohawk. I still love punk rock, but I never really like only hung out with the punk rockers. Cause I was a punk rocker. In fact, I didn't really, you know, hang out with anybody. Um, I did go to shows. I, I did have, yeah, I did have Not back then. some punk rock friends, but you know, in high school, it was really just a matter of, um, I didn't use, and I was proud of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess it was really short lived, you know, come to think about it. I, I've said, you know, like a hundred times, haven't I? I'm going to go back and listen to this well, and I, realize I, I, I have a crazy funny. verbal crutch. Yeah. <laughs> um, Everybody does. Yeah. Th- so it, in high school, it was definitely, um, I was proud of that. I was proud that I didn't drink when everybody was doing that. And maybe that's a little bit of like the contrarian in me mm-hmm. where everybody's doing that. And that's a cool thing to do. So I'm not going to do that. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned that you're a loner, um, something I can kind of relate to. And was it difficult for you to create, you know, you were saying you went to like meetings in Montgomery County, you went to meetings in Prince George's County, you went to meetings in Towson. So how difficult, especially going to like this wide area of meetings, how difficult was it to like kind of, you know, build a network, not uh, find your place, yeah, but build that initial network. Cause like finding your place is like, Oh, I feel at home here, but mm-hmm. building a network is like, fuck. Now I have to talk to these assholes. Yeah. So like, awesome question, you know, how, how'd you get past that social anxiety and actually, you know, Ooh. be like, Hey, if, if I can really boil it down. I just stood there. He did. I just you fucking really, stood you there. Really did. I didn't talk like at all. And I just fucking stood there. And that was like me getting over the boiling anxiety inside to me just run away. Mm-hmm. to run away. Yeah. And I just stood there and I, and thankfully everybody is really accepting. So when I walked up to them and was just staring at them <laughs> while they had their conversations, I just stood there. It's really, I'm, I'm actually going to co-sign this a hundred percent because we have right around, we have about the exact same time, like uh, of recovery. And I remember him starting to come to like, uh, Catonsville area. And yeah, he would literally, he was just a fucking fly on the wall and he would have like this half button down shirt, but like tattoos showing. So I'm in, I'm instantly interested and I'm like, okay, he seems like he's around my age, but he's not saying a fucking word. And he, yeah, probably for the first six months, it was like, hi, I'm Martin. 
That's it. That's dead, it. dead air. After that. And, and people, people really, um, you know, if you give them the opportunity to, will accept you mm-hmm. for whoever you are and wherever you're at. And, you know, like I said, I, I would rather be uncomfortable. I would rather face a fear and fail yeah. yep. than not. Uh, you know, or, or really to stay where I'm at. You know what I mean? I was, I was so desperate to not ever get back to that place that I was in. I was willing to do absolutely anything. And they talked about early talking on, to assholes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they talked early on, and they talked early on about like, especially if something makes you uncomfortable, if you're asked to do it, you should do it. And then mm-hmm. building a network, you know, um, my first sponsor, and I guess that's really where I started before, like trying to make friends. I started with getting a sponsor and, um, man, I could go into that. I picked the guy who sounded drunk and every time I listened to him, I would kind of feel fucked up. They talk about post acute withdrawal. Mm, And so listening to him would make me feel fucked up. So I'm like, they say, go after what, what you want. I was like, (laughs) I want that guy to be my sponsor. You know? So I went through a couple different sponsors, but that was sort of like, I latched on to him and he made it okay to like talk to some people and I sort of like listened to the lingo and then I made the effort, you know, friendships. What I've learned is like, I never knew what a friend was. I never really knew what it meant before mm-hmm. I got into the rooms and it means, you know, putting in effort, you know, to, to reach out to people and to not be closed off and to, you know, share my pain. And I I mean, I've found time and time again, where I got to be the first one to really open up and be honest about, you know, how fucking worthless and scared uh, I can be for somebody else to then open up and realize like all these ways that we connect and all these things that we share you know, and I'd much rather have a deep level conversation oh, yeah. and be fucking real than just talk about the weather. Yeah. And um, we're in such an inviting environment in recovery where, you know, where else can you show up and say, like, you know, I literally have an axe in my trunk right now because I'm waiting to kill this guy and a room full of people laugh. Yeah. You know, because they know where you're at and now. it's OK. You know, like, oh. We're going to have to get that axe. Oh, Joey. Joey. We're going to we're gonna, we're gonna have to get that axe from Joey. Yeah. We'll let him sit for a minute, though. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I want to chime in real quick on that. Mm-hmm. Mine sort of came out of necessity because the first couple years of recovery, I was very much a local guy. Like, I stuck, I stuck to uh, Howard County area, Cadenceville area, so I didn't branch out too much. And then uh, a recovery relationship went south. Mm. Um, I was no longer welcome in this female ex-female's eyes. And it, it became uncomfortable for me in my, my little fishbowl. So I had to literally jump out of my tank and go. Um, I knew like I still needed to pursue recovery. But I was like, I, it's not comfortable right here, right now. So I needed to go find it, and so that's when I started branching. I started going out to to Frederick. I went out. I went out to some some Laurel meetings. Definitely went up to like Towson, Pikesville, Roland Park, Baltimore area, and I really started exploring. And um, yeah, what, once I like just sat in those meetings, and I would go to like the same meeting out of area regularly. 
So they would start to recognize my face. I'd start to recognize their face. I would hear some of their stories. I would relate to somebody. And yeah, somebody would say something in a meeting and I'd be like, hey, I feel that too. We should be friends. And that I like through that, I've actually found some of my absolute best friends. And like that really goes to show that like even like the worst shitty things in my life, um, as long as I, like Martin said, continue to do the next right thing and pursue my recovery will lead me to now one of my absolute most important friendships of my life. And all of that came from feeling uncomfortable where I was and doing something about it. It also made me think about too that, you know, so many people that I was willing to be open with and talk to, some of them have become the most important people in my life. And for a while it was just being polite and giving them a hug and not knowing where it would go. Yeah. Um, the other thing that you made me think about too, is that, uh, I moved into a recovery house, which for me, you know, the guys would come on, they would come up to the door and they would knock on the door and say, Hey, we haven't seen you around in three days. Are you okay? Um, and that like, gave me a whole nother level of self-awareness. Like, Oh God, I, I do exist. And, you know, I am going to have hard days. And, um, that environment of recovery, uh, made a huge impact on my life being, um, at the Donnelly house where we are all in the same boat. Yeah. We were all almost like an instant network because we were in the same house. Yeah. Um, that made a huge, huge difference. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, seems like we're about out of time. We're about out of time. We are about out of time. Any other, any further statements, questions? No, nothing. All right. Fantastic. Yeah, I think um, this, that was great. All right. Well, we'd uh, like to thank our guest Martin again for joining us. You did a great job. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you so much, guys. I Absolutely. appreciate you asking. Here at Podcast Recovery, we are aiming to expand the scope of support for recovering addicts. Accessibility and convenience of helpful services is paramount to combating addiction. We work to bring the message of recovery to every addict, wherever and whenever it is needed. We believe that a powerful voice of recovery should be obtainable, practical, and at the touch of a button. Every addict deserves to hear a message of hope, and Podcast Recovery is here to provide it. And we're here to provide it on Twitter, on Facebook. We have a website, brand new website, podcastrecovery.com. Go check it out. You can listen to our first episode with Emily C. And we'll have... And lots of other episodes. Lots of other episodes. Lots of other episodes. Uh, Please, Paul Um, P. Yes, Paul Uh, P. Allie. Allie. Dave. Yourself. Myself, yes. Nathan. Nathan. Yes, we have so many... So many fantastic and, uh, episodes. And yeah. Also, please um, check out YouTube, YouTube. and SoundCloud, SoundCloud. And uh, you can find our podcast at um, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, um, Stitcher, Castbox. Yep. We are all over everywhere. Please rate, review. That's, I think, all And we got. subscribe. Anything? Last words, Martin? You guys are awesome. Thank you. <laughs> we try. Have a good night, everybody. Stay safe, stay clean. <laughs>